Hey everyone, welcome to the Dog Backwards podcast where we look at God, life, theology, culture, all from hopefully a different angle than what we're used to. We've got a lot of great content coming up, so don't forget to hit the subscribe button, but let's stop wasting time and get started. I'm thankful to have with me today Peggy uh, Nunley, who I knew as Boldazar from the days back in Budapest. Uh, there was uh, many years ago, I was 14. You were 14, 15 years old? Yeah, I was 15. Wow, we were young. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm only 18 now. <laughs> um, we went on a mission trip with an organization called All Star Ministries to Budapest, Hungary. And that was how we became friends. And we'd done ministry together many times since then, and now Peggy uh, has taken over All-Star Ministry. She's no longer just somebody going on mission trips. She is the president of a mission organization, allstar.org or .com? .org. .org, okay. So now she's in charge of that, and this is basically your first year. You haven't had your first year of summer missions yet. Right. We're we're diving into new things, new season. Things are changing. Yeah, they're definitely, so, definitely they're de- changing. Definitely yeah. changing, yeah. Uh, my dad was president of All-Star for 25 years, and he couldn't figure out who to take it over, who to pass on this to. And people kept asking me to do it, and there is not a chance in Hades that I would ever desire to do what you're doing because it is, look, I, I live by faith as a pastor, but the amount of faith that you have to live by on a daily basis will turn your hair gray in that incredibly fast. <laughs> it's already happening. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> So I, I wanted to have you on today because there is this kind of conversation happening in culture about the Me Too movement and where women fit into society. And because we're Christians, and we'll try to talk about this in a way that somebody, if they're not a Christian, listens to this, kind of understands where we're coming from and doesn't think that we're all like sexist bigots, you know? Because the idea of saying that in the church that there are some things a woman biblically is commanded not to do, I don't even want to like mention that, right? It, it's a scary topic if you're talking to somebody who doesn't go to the church. But there are two main sides. There's the complementarian, which means men and women complement each other. They have equal rights. They have equal roles. Just those roles are different. And then there's egalitarianism, which is women can do whatever men do. So a lot of churches you might see, there are no women pastors, and they don't allow that. They don't allow women in positions of the highest levels of leadership. People like John Piper, uh, you, you will never see a woman preaching from his pulpit. And so we've been talking, you and I, a little bit about kind of the struggles because we find ourselves in these unique spot. We don't want to change because of culture, but maybe you can just shed some light on as a girl, where has the difficulty lied? Because you go to churches to talk about missions and ministry, Mm -hmm. but they won't let you preach at some of them. Is that right? Right. And, and I think it just depends on the church. And I think that's part of the confusion is because I think even culturally, a lot of pastors really don't know where they land in it. And so you know, when they have a female come in that I think under the umbrella of missions, I can probably do more than the average female within like that local body. 
of coming in and talking about, um, you know, what God is doing around the world. It's not what they consider to be um, a pastoring role. Um, it's more of, you know, this is a guest speaker. They're coming in, they're talking about missionary work. And so, and really historically, it seems as though missionary work has been kind of been off limits, you know, in a lot of ways that, so for me, I started at 15 going with All Star and I came back from that first mission trip and started going into churches right away and began to share the stories of what God had done. Um, I wouldn't say that I was preaching in those churches at that time. I really was sharing the stories of what God was doing. Uh, but since then, it has developed more into, you know, me recognizing gifts of teaching and preaching. And so, you know, when I go in, I really am not just sharing a, a missional story, but actually taking the scriptures and dividing it and giving a challenge, you know, for them to be engaged in the Great Commission. So, yeah, it has changed a lot over the years. Um, early on, I think that I didn't have, I've never aspired to be a pastor, I'll tell you that. I've never aspired to, um, you know, honestly, to be in top leadership in a church. Um, now, my husband and I were church planners for six years. Uh, so leadership was pretty undefined in that six years. So I probably did a lot of roles um, without ever any titles. Um, it, but there's this weird balance sometimes that takes place because if a church like John Piper was going to have you come and share on a Sunday morning about missions, his kind of rule of law is that you will be introduced and then somebody comes in, a man would come in and say the prayer because if you, like, if you were to pray at the end or give an invitation, then you would officially have been preaching and they can't allow that. So for me, it seems like there's all these different rules that are not necessarily biblical that get set up. So you can function in all the roles that a pastor might on a Sunday morning. You can get up, you can open up God's Word, you can teach with authority, but there's an argument that you wouldn't be qualified because of your gender right. to be a pastor. Is that Does that feel sexist in any way has that been a struggle just to deal with uh, that reality yeah i think i think the biggest challenge is is that the question i think every female ask is why not and i think the question we ask is what's wrong with our gender like what is it that god opposes in us that too many jokes <laughs> <laughs> right right but, right. but 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 in reality you know when i think about being a female in any type of leadership in ministry you know, my first greatest struggle is, is, you know, the lies that I've heard growing up. Right. And, you know, so, you know, I remember, you know, being a young person, you know, I was in college, I was speaking at a church and they had asked me to come in and, you know, the pastor takes me to the side and says, you know, I'm so glad that you're here. Mm. Uh, but you do know that it's because a man didn't step up. Right. And, yeah. and so, I mean, those words of you're kind of second choice. Right. You know, those are spoken over women. God didn't want to use you, but he had no choice. Right, like, like right. you know, but as a young person, for yeah. me, I just, I was grateful for the opportunity, mm -hmm. so I, I didn't care. Now, as I've gotten older, those comments have resonated more yeah. um, in me as I step more into leadership. I, I would say that that's one of the greatest battles probably I face. And I, there, it seems like there was a reason it didn't come up until recently, because even in society, the women, the role of women was designated to the house. So that it was a cultural reality as well as a church reality. Mm -hmm. And now there's kind of this conflict because the role of women in society have changed. 
and the church has says, well, we still hold to maybe this kind of view. Um, and so we don't ever want to change because ch- culture has changed, but it has made me take a, like a really, I tried to go to the other side. Like I, I literally <laughs> I got in the car and I drove there to see if I could make it work because not because of cultural reasons, but there are Christian people that I respect who would say there's nothing wrong with women being elders, right? Being the pastor of a church. And I've heard you preach. You preach better than some pastors I've heard, right? So um, in that sense, you would be maybe even more qualified than some of them. But yeah, the idea that I just struggle as I've begun to, I've been married for 10 years and I have been forced to, I've always said my wife is equal, but I, because I, I grew up in a culture where my dad came home from work. We gave him the remote to the TV. My mom had dinner ready on the table. My wife let me know, not, you know, over her dead body. Well, that happened, right? Like she worked, I worked. And just trying to see her as an equal, though I thought I did, I, I didn't necessarily. So I kind of, uh, that sparked this journey. It's like, well, where else am I weak in my view on this? Where am I a victim of my own circumstance? So have you been kind of on a journey in the way you view this? Have you tried to go? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I, I grew up, you know, because I started off at Oklahoma Baptist University and so, which is a very mm-hmm. Southern Baptist. And, you know, I was introduced to John Piper, who I, you know, I really respect. Right. Um, I read the, you know, biblical manhood and womanhood when that came out. Mm-hmm. And that was my first recognition that, you know, I, I don't know that I feel the same. But, but for me, it's always, I may not feel it, but what does scripture say? Right. The problem was I didn't feel like I got absolute answers in scripture. So, so I went to people that I respected. I went to commentaries. I studied it. I looked at the Greek and I still didn't feel like I necessarily had absolute answers. And so I can't tell you, Hey, you know, I absolutely believe this on the role of women with being a pastor and elder. Um, I don't know where I stand on it at this point. Um, I'm just being honest with you. You know, I'm, I'm not saying I'm for it. I'm not saying I'm against it. I'm saying I'm not really sure that I know how to discern what the scripture is saying. That both camps seem to have very strong arguments, right? And they both seem to have credible sources, and they both seem to be, be very staunch that these are facts. Yeah. The problem with that is that I don't know which one is right. Yeah, and that's kind of uh, where I found myself. Which, as a pastor, they want you to have especially this, this is, you know, you're organizing and structuring a church. And so it's kind of foundational about who you say can be an elder and who can't. We're an elder led church. And I know I'm probably much further to whatever center is. I don't like terms like left and right because everything's left and right to somebody else, but I'm much closer to allowing women to be elders but I haven't gone, I haven't crossed that bridge. Mm. And, and there's literally, I'll get to it maybe here in a little bit. There's like one verse that keeps me from doing that. Some of the other verses that I had been told here, this clearly shows as I delved into it, like you say, the argument against it is just as strong, right. sometimes stronger. And, and, and in some areas, you can see where translators had made decisions and they pass that on to you. And the decision they made wasn't a textual decision. It was based upon, well, this can't mean 
that Phoebe was a deacon or Junius right. was an apostle. It can't mean that because that's not allowed. So um, decisions were made, and I was like, I want to make those decisions for myself. So we just had uh, the electing of deacons, and I had to do a sermon on women can be deacons. And I remember early on in my preaching career at Southern Baptist churches, I was basically told that's not going to fly. And I'm like, well, there's biblical evidence for it. Like we see a woman deacon. Well, that could be translated this way or that way. Mm -hmm. But um, I I think maybe a safe way to deal with this then is what we've learned doing ministry is you err to the side of safety. Right. Right. So I would much rather, though I am not convinced I wouldn't want to put a stumbling block there and say someone can't do that if I'm not certain. I would rather be generous in allowing somebody into that position. Uh, I've never had a, a woman elder. I don't know what that looks like. Um, I don't know if I would even be comfortable with it. So it's weird to say that it might be okay, but I'm not comfortable with it. Is that okay to say that stuff? Right, I think it is. And I think that, you know, I'm on this other side being female. Mm-hmm. And so I look at my life and say, you know, when I stand before Jesus, is he going to look at me and say, you know, you shouldn't have spoken there. Like you went way too far. You know, you had men in the audience, you know, that you were on a Sunday morning, you know, you were teaching the scriptures and did you not know that that was forbidden? Or do I look at my life and say, okay, I know I'm not going to do everything right, but I'm going to try to honor God in everything that I do. And I'm going to default to, I'm going to be as bold and as zealous and as forthright in preaching the gospel and allow the Holy Spirit to draw me back that this is not what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, Not trying to be offensive to anyone, but really trying to walk in obedience to what, um, I I don't want to look back at the end of my life and say, man, you wasted these gifts that God has given you because you were fearful that you were just going to cross the line and you were fearful that, you know, maybe you shouldn't be doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, I know certain things I shouldn't be doing. They're very mm-hmm. clear in scripture. You know, I, right, I shouldn't right. be, you know, killing anybody. Right. right? It's pretty right. clear. Right. And we know that um, I know that, you know, you have to walk in holiness. You know that you have to walk in purity, you know, uh, honesty. You know, these are things that, that I know that I, you know, I'm not supposed to lie. But when it comes to, where do I say that I can't exercise the giftings God has given me? I don't know where that line is. So there's several different culture wars going on uh, within the church, between the church and the world, and one of them is homosexuality. And I can very clearly point to Scripture, and like, here's what the Bible says. Right. Like, there's no, there's no obfuscation of these verses. They're clear. They're laid out. They're, they're simple. And so I can say, hey, look, I know culture is going this way. I'm not going to go that way. Like, I can understand all the implications that would come with that. I can see the dangers of that lifestyle. I can see what that leads to. You know, I can see the weakness and the argument from that side. Um, And some people would almost compare that to the argument of women in church. Oh, it's just liberal. It's just a women's right movement. But I don't see it like that. So this is a place where I think there's a lot more room for grace and allowing that tension to exist instead of just like, nope, it's clear cut. And when somebody's like, it's clear cut what the Bible says I, on this issue, um, I wonder how much research they've done. I mean, because if we wanted to get into it, we could say, well, there are 
women judges in the Old Testament. Right. Uh, one of the highest, I mean, they could go before whatever king was there and speak on the authority of God. A, a judge was somebody that had the Holy Spirit living, in, in, it was God's mm-hmm. mouthpiece. And I don't think it's just because a man wasn't good enough. There was just no man available, so second pick. I think God raised that woman up for that purpose. Um, and like you say, if, if God has given you this gift to preach and declare the truth, you know, mm-hmm. maybe part of the issue resides in how we define certain terms. So we say women can't be pastors, but in the New Testament, does a pastor look like a pastor look like today? That's totally, I mean, it, it really looks different, I think. Right. And you know, my husband and I ran into this in church planning. So we were in Acts 29 church. Mm-hmm. So we were reformed, um, definitely did not, you know, it's elder led church. Right. Uh, but we were in the first stages of developing leadership. And one of the problems, because our target was the unchurched, we were in a small community that 80% of the population, in the community we were in was unchurched. Mm-hmm. So finding leadership that could come in and rightly divide the word of God. I mean, he was seeking out men after men mm-hmm. after men. Um, but he was also an ER physician, so he had a job. And so there were Sundays that he had to miss. Mm-hmm. So he would ask me to fill the pulpit. Now, that you know, was that okay? Was that not okay? Um, right. You know, depending on who you're talking to, they would say, well, you know, you were under the authority of your husband. Who was the pastor? Which mm-hmm. that was okay. Um, somebody else may say, well, you're, you're taking too much liberty, you know, right. that, that you shouldn't be the one up there. But, but I found myself, him finding people to fill the pulpit, and I would be sitting in the congregation knowing that they didn't understand the scriptures well. Right, yeah, they, they, they might not rightly be dividing the truth up there. And, right, yeah. you know, and, and not that my husband didn't try to find somebody that he felt like he could trust. I think he really did. Right. Um, but as you would listen to them divide the scriptures, you realize they had some error in it. And, but because of their gender, they're mm-hmm. being given the pulpit. Well, we see there's actually in Acts, there's a great story about Priscilla and Aquila. Uh, Apollos is this great preacher. He's out there preaching boldly, and he's saying some things that aren't correct. So what happens? Two women come and with authority say, you need to quit teaching this instead teach this and they instruct him and train him how to be a better preacher so if woman's not supposed to have any kind of authority over men or if they're not supposed to be in that position um that that seems like that's one of those verses where i go well if priscilla and aquila can pull apollos aside and basically rebuke him lovingly like it's not like you know he was doing a decent job but he needed some training and so there's no idea then that women can't have some kind of authority over men because here we see this great preacher being corrected by two godly women. Who then discipled and pastored him. Right, yeah, right? yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, so the way we define pastor these days, and one reason I like being elder-led is because I call it the one ring to rule them all syndrome, right? So like Lord of the Rings where they're one ring and control everybody. That's kind of what a pastor has become. He preaches... He organizes the building. He shepherds everything. He controls everything. And they're like, no woman could have all that power, right? Um, they just, they, even if they don't do it well, and maybe in certain areas where he's, you know, got things he should do, he doesn't delegate it to a woman who might do it better, but he's the pastor. So he has to be the last say on all of that. Well, when it comes to all sorts of areas of ministry, women play an incredibly 
powerful role that most churches wouldn't survive if you actually took to like the core of what some scriptures say about women must remain silent in church, you know, and uh, they can't not have authority over men. So if you take that at just face value, most churches would collapse. They teach Sunday school, they teach youth. When, it, when you have to create all these new rules then, what if there's a woman's Sunday school class and a man walks in? Does she have to be quiet and just let him teach? Who would take care of the kids? Yeah, who's going to take? Who yeah. would provide the food? The guys aren't guys aren't volunteering for nursery. I tell you that right. we have we have right. some guys. Uh, usually, their wives have encouraged them. Um, we actually in our um, children's ministry, we usually ask that couples do it together. So it's men and women, um, or else you tend to just have women. We want both to be in that role. But yeah, so, so in the way that we see a pastor work in scripture, or what they would call an elder sometimes called a bishop. Um, there were house churches, you know, women would be teaching Bible studies. We would see them hosting. And, and the idea of hosting wasn't just, I'll make the tea for you, sir. It was a position of leadership. Right. I think one of the things that we have missed is nobody has given, and this is important for the cultural world to hear as we have these conversations, the rights of women would not be where they are if it wasn't for Judeo-Christianity, mm-hmm. right? For, for Judeo-Christian morals, wherever Christianity has gone, the rights of women have skyrocketed. You look at Muslim-controlled countries. Right. Women are just getting driver's license, right? They, they can't show their face in public. It is close to slavery as you can get, right? They, they are abused and second-class citizens. But wherever Christianity has gone, education, schooling, um, literacy rates have always increased. And so women's right is not a secular idea. We had it first. Scripture has always given prominence to women. So it's weird that we would be so freeing to women. You know, neither male nor female, Jew nor Gentile. It's like God looks with this leveling eye, but yet also have boundaries on what roles we're supposed to play. Right. And, and how much of that is cultural? How much how much of scripture do we see through this cultural lens that isn't the biblical worldview? And you know, I, I like to go back to Genesis one because I, I think that was pre curse, right? And so I wanna know, you know, what was God's fingerprint on women from the beginning? You know, what was as a female, what was the design that he had for me from the beginning? And in Genesis one I don't see much of a difference. I don't see that. I see when he created uh, man, right? It says mankind. He created male and female. And he, you know, commissioned them, you know, to, uh, to rule, to reign, to, to multiply, um, to, to conquer, you know, to dominate the world, really, because they were to be the reflectors of his glory back to him. I see that, you know, it was good for Adam not to be alone, not because this helper was just, you know, this personal secretary. He needed somebody to cook for him. Right. Yeah, you Adam. know, but, but that, that word helper, you know, Ezer, you know, that this is a, this is a very significant word that's used there, mm-hmm. you know, because it's not just a word that somebody just to come alongside, but this was someone that, you know, Adam, it was God splitting Adam down the middle, creating yeah. female, mm-hmm. right? When when 
you know, the translations we see as it says, you know, that the rib was taken out of Adam. Yes. It, yeah. That we know that Tesla, yeah. I believe, is the is the Hebrew word there yeah. that it really means cut in half. Adam was cut mm. in half. Yep. So to me, when I look at Genesis one and two, I see that with male and female, we get the full attribute of who God is. Yeah. So it's not meant for for men to just, you know, be primary in the sense that um, they can function without female. And it's not meant for women to be primary where they can function without male. I believe that God created the church to come together, both sides of the church, to come together for for his full reflection to come. Now, I know there's roles, and I know that there's um, functions and how all that looks. I think that's where it gets a little muddy, though. Yeah. The language used in Genesis when it's talking about the roles to, um, if I can remember this correctly, um, there's priestly language used for both of them and the given roles. And many scholars would argue that Eden was the first temple, right? Because mm-hmm. God's presence was there and they were carrying out priestly duties. That would make Adam and Eve a priest and a priestess, right? Mm-hmm. That we see that language used again in the New Testament of the priesthood of every believer. And so like there's this great reversal of going back to where this is this equality, but there might be different roles. And you're right, in the Garden of Eden, they share the roles. Mm-hmm. Um, who are we to say that while Adam was out, you know, chopping wood, she's back making bread? Right. We, we don't know. We, we don't know. So, I mean, we, we fill in the blanks on those, but we don't see a separation of the roles. Right. And so now we have this very much this separation. So I, I don't, I, I want to break free from the curse and not try to create boundaries within the curse. Does that make sense? Right. And, and I think that's where the struggle is with, with the local church. You know, what is kind of curse-driven? Mm-hmm. What is a response to the curse? Right. And what, what does it really look like to walk out a new creation? Yeah. Right? You know that when we have been freed from this sinful curse that rests over us and being able to walk as a, a priest or a priestess in his you know, in his house, in his yeah. temple. There's, uh, um, maybe we can jump into some verses real quick mm-hmm. to kind of cover the, some of this. So, because if somebody's listening to this and they are like, no, Bible clearly says that women can only do this. And they're thinking of these verses in their head and they're ready to launch into, well, why aren't you guys? There's, there's a reason I've, I haven't changed sides, but I've lessened my grip on one. I haven't grabbed hold of the other. I'm not egalitarian. I haven't grabbed hold, and I don't think I will, but I've loosened my grip on it and the way I see it. So there's a verse in Romans 16, um, and it says, it's, it's talking about uh, hunia or however you say it. I know I'm probably going to say it wrong, and it's uh, in verse 7. But the interesting, Paul begins, and he, he mentions 20 names, and 10 of them are women. And this is where, in verse 1, it starts off with, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant, and the argument is often made. That's the same word used for deacon. And so why do we put servant there instead of deacon? Because, well, it might be considered a role of authority. This is a conversation we've had with our church. Nowhere in Scripture is deacon a position of authority. It's a table waiter, right? Who's, who's waiting tables? Who's serving the church? Well, the women in the nursery are serving the church. They technically could be called a deaconess, right? right? 
Now, there were uh, the role uh, of the servant and then the office of a servant. And I see no reason why we can't say, hey, this is a designated servant. If you need somebody, this is a safe person. Their theology, they've just gone through some testing, right? And that's all we see in First Timothy. They've met certain standards. So we are going to recognize publicly that this person is a servant of God. And in verse 7, it says, uh, Greet Andronicus and Hunia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles. And there's a translation issue. So I have the ESV, and N.T. Wright, I was studying on this issue, and he says, there is no reason it should be translated that way. He says, we know now, better than we've ever known, it should read well-known among the apostles. Mm. Right? That these women who served side by side with him, in prison with him, these are some tough broads, right? These are some tough chicks. And he says, they are well-known among the apostles. Now, an apostle is the highest role you can have, right? right? They, they are people who proclaim the truth that pastor, shepherd, do everything a pastor would do and more so. And if that translation is right, then there has to be a major shift that takes place. And, and I don't like the scape, well, it's just because a man would, you know, um, so do you have any response to that? Have you heard that? Are you familiar with that? I am. And uh, and I know that Hunius is, it is debated on, is, is that male or female? Mm-hmm. Um, now, I tend to lead, you know, to the idea that it is female. Right. Just the more that I, I don't, I mean, traditionally, it's female. Mm-hmm. Um, culturally, it would have been female. Yeah. And, um so there's a reason why that name is chosen there. Yeah. You know, it's also someone that, um, which I think is interesting because, um, and I may not get the, the first name right. Um, how did you say that? Androsius? I probably got it wrong, so say it however you want. Okay, so the first name there, you know, is this her husband? Is this her brother? Right. Nobody knows, but there's a distinction of her apart from right. if it's her brother or her, bro- or her husband, right? right? So, so that's a pretty big deal. Right. So, I mean, if, if she is, you know, a well-known among the apostles, uh, came to Christ before Paul. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, she was probably from um, at least what I've read is that maybe among the 500 in Acts. Yeah. Um, Hellenistic Jew mm-hmm. coming out of that. I mean, this is a pretty big deal. So. So, yeah. So. So what do you do with this text? You know, how do you take this text and then say, well, women should not be in leadership in the church, not in the highest places of authority in the church, when there's a woman that it really looks as though she's being recognized as that. And she's outstanding. She's outstanding among Well, them. I mean, she's been to jail. Right. Right? Yeah, I yeah. Mean, I mean, like, this isn't somebody that's just serving cookies and taking care of kids. And she's working side by side, right? So right. he's making this distinction. Like, she's right there with me. I'm preaching over here, she's preaching over here, I'm doing this, she's doing that. We are a partnership. So even Paul, who is the one who says the most stuff that um, would be used in the argument for limiting the roles of women in the church, here he's using personal examples of here's a deacon, here's an apostle, they both seem to be women. But you're right, there, it is contested um, about whether this is a man or a woman. Almost all scholars agree that it is most likely a woman. Mm -hmm. There was one recent scholarly article that I read 
that said new evidence is showing that that actually might be somewhat of a known male name from the area. But that's one compared to, you know, hundreds of scholarly peer-reviewed articles that say, no, that's a woman. And we can see when it was changed. Like it was tried to change to be a man's name. So we kind of have a good idea of what's going on there. Um, there's a verse, and we don't have to delve too much into it, that d- deals with, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over man. First uh, Timothy 2.12, to sum it up really quickly, it says that I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over man, and then it has a, a weird section that says that woman will be saved through childbearing. There is evidence, the Textus Receptus, the most popular manuscript that we use for everything. It's our oldest, most reliable manuscript. It has these marks around it saying that it's an interpolation, which is a fancy way to say it's inserted. It might be a margin note that accidentally got put in there. It's in different areas of the Bible, but how are we to understand that? Right. And um, so I, I was looking at John Piper, and I felt like he had at least some insight now is this you know, factual, I don't know. But he really took verse 15 where it says that a woman be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. He took it all the way back to Genesis chapter 316 right. and going back to the curse and basically saying that not that we are actually saved through childbirth, but that we will experience salvation even though we have this curse over us. In, in the same way men have a curse over them. I and mean, we all, you know, at the at the fall... And I think the reason that it backtracks to, you know, Adam was created first and then Eve, uh, but it wasn't Adam who was deceived because it's going back to the specifics of the curse over the female. And that was kind of his interpretation. Now, if we back up just a little bit, I do want to kind of address verse 12 Mm -hmm. where it says, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. And Looking at this one, the word authority here is not the traditional word that's right. used. It's mm-hmm. only actually used that the word here, typically you would see the word exosia, which mm-hmm. is the Greek term for authority right. that's used throughout the New Testament when it talks about authority. Um, but in this one here, the word is actually, and I don't know if I'm saying it right, it's authenteo. Yeah. Um, but it means do- to dominate. Yeah, to, it's a very dominating authority. Right. Yeah. So this is this is not what we would consider authority, but this is maybe a woman right. that is trying to dominate this man. And, 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 and Timothy's, you know, this is being addressed here of saying, like, you can't do that. Right. Like, as a, as a, as a woman, you, you don't need to do that. Right. But I think, it, at least from what I have studied, it seems to be a specific woman. Not that this is for all women of all ages. And that's one of the typical, yeah, and that's, uh, because you have to do something with this weird verse. So people say, well, it's talking about Genesis because it goes back to Genesis, and so she's going to be saved. It's talking about the Messiah is one of them, you know, through the birth of the Messiah. Um, One of my issues with the idea that this is about um, one woman is in just, Verse 10, it says, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness. So that's in plural. And then it goes on to, we would say it switches from the plural to the singular. And then it goes into this Genesis thing, right, about woman will be saved through childbearing. So we're saying it goes from plural to singular back to plural. And that doesn't really flow with it. So it could be he's talking about a single woman, but the word could be used for a singular or a plural. Mm -hmm. So 
I like my idea that is straight up an interpolation and it shouldn't be there anyways because that solves me from having to try to put it with something. But like I said, these are one of the verses. Nobody actually lives this out. None of us say, hey, a woman can't talk in church. We don't have any Sunday. No one comes in and puts duct tape over the mouths of the wives and children. We, we let them talk. We, they have authority in the church, oftentimes over men, right? Biblically speaking, you became a man at the age of 12 years old. Well, who's teaching the 12-year-old class? Because if we want to be biblical, those are men now, right? right. And we have women teaching that. So if we try to say... Um, this means that they can't teach or have authority over men. You start having to draw all these weird lines. And it reminds me too much of the Old Testament where they're trying to create rules to protect the rules. And it gets us in trouble a lot. So, yeah, so we have to... That was another one where I'd always been taught. You go to this verse, see how clear it is. And then the more I delve into it, it becomes less clear. And I don't... I, I like when things resolve. And the more I look into it, I'm going, well, maybe this isn't as clear as uh, I would want it to be. Um, there's also first, um, I want to say first Timothy, the qualifications for, uh, it's first Timothy three. And this is the qualifications for overseers, which we would know as elders mm-hmm. or a pastor or anything like that. And the qualifications for deacons. And this is one of those translational issues that, made me lose trust in some of the perspective that biblical scholars bring when they are translating this because choices have to be made when you're translating from one language to another. And those choices are made by your presuppositions. Like, I think this, I think the Bible says this, so I'm going to translate it that way. And it goes through the qualifications for a deacon in verse 8, and then verse 11, it says, their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderous, and it goes on. And it lists qualifications for deacon wives. Now, the issue is there in verse 11, the words for their wives is not their wives. It is uh, women. Women, likewise, must be dignified. There's nothing in there that talks about them being wives, right? So it is just straight up women. And what I find interesting about that is for an elder, no qualification for their wives are given. Mm. It's only for the deacons. So why would you say, if you're a deacon, which is a lesser role than an elder, your wife has qualifications, but that's not listed for elders. And what it looks like, and what I would say, is that it lists elders for men, and then when it gets to deacons, it gives deacons likewise, and then also says, verse 11, it gives women must be dignified, not slander. So it's giving specific qualifications for the women who are going to fill this role, like what we saw in Romans, when there was women deacons. Mm-hmm. So this is the main reason why I have not gone to the other side. Mm-hmm. I think this speaks volumes. The fact that we're going to see qualifications for men and women in the role of deacons, but it's silent on the role of women as elders. Mm-hmm. And to me, because of all the other verses, like, okay, we have this female apostle, we have this female deacon, um, in John 20, Mary Magdalene is the first one to see Jesus, and she's the first one to go proclaim the gospel about the risen Savior. Jesus took the role of women much more seriously than a lot of Southern Baptist churches do and gave them a lot more credit than maybe we give them. And we see how in the Old Testament, priests and um, prophets and judges were the ones given the Holy Spirit 
And now we're all priests. There's the priesthood of all believers, and we're mm -hmm. all given the Holy Spirit. And we're all told, you know, Paul talks about when women prophesy. Well, how can they prophesy unless they're preaching and teaching, right? I think maybe we put boundaries on preaching that shouldn't be there. Mm -hmm. So an elder doesn't have to be a preacher, right? So, so we, we have elders who don't preach. They can if they need to. Mm -hmm. But there, there are plenty of roles that an elder can play without having to try to put this boundary around it to make it the leader of the church. But it's just the fact that the qualification for an overseer, uh, it says must be the husband of one wife, but it says nothing about the wife's role in this section. Right. Well, and I, and I think that's a good point. Um, I don't argue it. I think right. that's a part of kind of the, maybe the, the, the battle between the two sides, you know, is this silent because this is situational, right. right? Is this situational or is it that that is the qualifications? Right. And, and I agree with you. I think that's why I'm probably right here where I'm at also saying, yeah. I don't really know. Right. Um, one reason maybe I don't want to be a pastor. Right. Right. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't want to address yeah. that and, and, and have to, you know, you know, make those hard decisions. But, but I do think that, um, and it's okay that it doesn't resolve. Right. So we're used right. to the Simpsons where Bart breaks his arm in the first five minutes. By the end of the show, his arm's better. And you know, next week they're not even going to bring it up. We're used to resolution, mm -hmm. but what we have is revelation. Right. What we want is resolution. Right. And you don't always get both. So it's okay to live in that tension of going, you know, traditionally, I'm not going to change tradition until I'm absolutely certain. Mm -hmm. And the tradition has been men are the elders. Mm -hmm. And I've got my own ideas as to why, because I don't believe that one is a position of authority. I don't think me as a pastor has authority over the women in the church. I really don't. I just see this is my gift. I'm using my gift. Mm -hmm. And they have their gifts and they use their gifts. Um, I believe in the equal authority of all believers. We're all equal. They can come and correct me. I can correct them. We should be open to it. So I don't use this as like I'm lording it over them right. and they can ever rise to my level. That's a very Western corporate kind of level of thinking. I can see if, if I'm looking at the big scope and not just our short time frame that there's obvious reasons why a woman might not be put in that position. Because what if she has children? This job takes a lot. It takes a lot of time to go and shepherd people. It's easier if my kids stay at home. Sometimes when I go and I do ministry, especially when they're younger. When my, you know, I have a new little boy will be here in March. My wife's going to be on bed rest for a little bit. I can still do some certain functions of ministry that she would not be able to do. So because I, I've never argued God, I'm so upset you haven't allowed me to be pregnant, right? Because that's a role, obviously, that God has designated for women. Mm -hmm. So I can understand, okay, I have a role, and a woman can do anything in the church she wants. She can use whatever giftedness she has. But to protect her, I'm going to make, it's not a blessing. I don't, I don't view this as a blessing, right? It's, I'm a blunt shield that protects my church from the enemy. I'm not... It's not something to glorify, and I'm supposed to be a servant of servants. So I'm the blunt shield to protect her so that she can enjoy her time at home. 
and she's the blunt shield, so I don't have to carry the pain of childbirth, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> so uh, there's just no drugs to, to ease the pain of pastoring, but there are to ease the pain of childbirth. But um, So for me, that's just how I've tried to justify it in my mind. Like, okay, why then? Why is there a role that women can't do in the church? Yeah, and, and, and when I hear you say that, you know, a part of me is like, well, what about the woman that, that doesn't have children? Right. So, so she just is disqualified. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think these are real questions that women ask, mm-hmm. you know, or, um, or I think about my role now, you know, my husband has taken more of a role of helping with the kids because of being in leadership. Um, doesn't make me less of a mom. Right. And, you know, my need to be with the kids and his need to be with the kids is really in a lot of ways the same. Now, when they were younger, it was a little different. And I think that we all have different seasons of ministry. Um, but, but I think for, I just don't know that, that, yeah. that your justification I look at and say, oh, well, that just makes sense. Yeah, no, and as I say, because there's, if it was a perfect justification, I could write a book and sell a million copies. Right, but right. But there, there's holes in all these arguments. Right. And so I, I just say, is Scripture speaking in blanket terms on this subject? Um, because of how we are predominantly hardwired. There might be some women that don't have children, and that's okay. There's some men that won't get married, and that's okay. And we have instructions, like if you're not married, you know, devote yourself to the gospel, right? Like, it's okay. It's even encouraged sometimes. Some of y'all should be single, so you can be more involved in ministry. So it's not going to resolve, and we're definitely not going to resolve it. But I think we covered as briefly as possible some of the different arguments that are used uh, there's plenty of arguments that say, hey, women should be able to have any role. There's arguments that seem mm-hmm. to limit. There's arguments from silence in First Timothy 3 when it comes to the qualifications for elders. An argument from silence is not always the best argument, but right. it's if it's all I have, it's all I have. Let me uh, maybe transition us to the kind of the last part of this and say, how could we as a church better equip the women in church for ministry and to use their gifts? Well, I think for women, at least a lot of the women that that I interact with, I think there needs to be this sense of permission. And mm. believe it or not, I mm. think that a lot of women, especially so, so with All Star, one of the things that we were discipleship ministry. So you know, every summer we're taking teams, and we are not just taking them, you know, and trying to get them to fulfill the Great Commission. We are doing that. We want to create disciples that create disciples, right? right. Mm-hmm. So that means that we have to spend a lot of time investing in them, teaching them the Scriptures, teaching them disciplines, teaching them how to look at the Scriptures the right way. And when I talk with young girls and I begin to ask them, you know, what what do you believe that God is calling you to do? Mm-hmm. You know, wh- when you look at your future, and I'm thinking, man, you could be a missionary. You know, right. you could... Um, I mean, God could call you to run, you know, some company and, and you plant yourself in the Middle East and, and you'd be one among, you know, millions that have never heard the gospel, right. you know, um, so many things that they could do. And a lot of these girls will say, well, you know, I want to be, um, I guess, um, you know, a wife and a mom, and I'm kind of waiting to see who I marry to find out what I'm supposed to do with right. my life. Wait for and my I, husband to tell me what to do. Well, <laughs> but, but I think yeah. they've been yeah. kind of conditioned. Right in the church to believe that mm-hmm. that their calling is based upon who they marry. Right. And I would argue that. Yeah. Um, 
you know, the calling that I've had on my life since I was 15, I had there before I met my husband. Right. And, and I, I love my husband and, and I married him because I saw that our calling for really headed the same, same direction. Way. Yeah. And that together we could, we could glorify God even more. Right. Um, in fact, he, an ER doc, and so I mean, he could get me to close countries, so right. he could really glorify God more right. in using his skills and the giftings God has given him. But he also preaches and teaches and mm-hmm. serves in the church um, and has pastored. But together, I have never felt like he has completed my calling. Right. And so my my most difficult days as as a, a female in the church was when I had small children, and there was no place for me to serve. And, and there was no relief from those small kids. And so I, I would say one is give women permission, give them areas of service, give them expectations that they can do more than cook food and take Mm -hmm. care of kids. That, um, the deaconess roles that you have in your body, you know, Mm -hmm. encourage them to aspire to those things. Um, I would say, you know, women love to serve and, um, men love to serve. People love to have significant tasks. They love to feel um, that they're fulfilling a purpose. And and I would love to see young girls thinking larger than just married. Yes, you know, dream about getting married. Yes, right. dream about having kids. But what next? Yeah, you know, <laughs> then what do you do? Then yeah. what do you do? Like, yeah. so, so you've got the husband, and now your kids are starting to grow up. Well, what do you do with your life? And that's where I have found, mm. especially in church planting, I had so many women coming to me, and they're just like, we don't know what to do with our lives. Right. And... They, they didn't know who they were in Jesus because their identity was grafted into who does my husband say that I am mm-hmm. and not who does Jesus say that I am. Um, you know, their kids are now kind of leaving and they've never found their place of ministry. They've never seen that. They were created with good works, as Ephesians talks about, before they were ever born. Mm-hmm. And that these works are waiting for them to step into. And I think the church needs to say, listen, there are good works for you as a female motherhood is a blessing and, and it is a gift and, and God has given that to you. And, and I think we need mothers and fathers in the church and we need to use that. Um, but there's also more than that. What I've found to be true is oftentimes the dad will go to work and he really wants to use his gifts in the church. And so he'll use some of his evenings to go and do some kind of project or be a part of a ministry or a men's ministry, but the wife doesn't get the same treatment. So she'd watch the kids all day or maybe she worked all day, but she stays home so that the husband can go do his important ministry. And what I have been trying to do is give my wife just the time to do what she's called to do. So our clothing ministry, she started it and she loves it. And I had to, at times, watch the kids, heaven forbid, right, by myself. Terrifying, I know. And it's not babysitting, right? No, it's right. not. I know. She always <laughs> says, it's not baby. I was like, I never said it was babysitting. They just like you more. Um, but I, I've tried to just give her space mm-hmm. to do ministry. Give her that time. It doesn't mean I have to train her how to do it. I don't have to, you know, mansplain what ministry is. She has this calling. She has right. a gift. She has talent. And if I just give her the space, which I, she listened to this, will tell you I don't do enough, but if I give her the room, she'll do it. And I think a lot of guys are the same way. We just don't give our wives the freedom because we don't see their ministry. We would never say it, but we don't see their ministry as important as our ministry. My wife disciples several young women and does it with 
a kid, you know, running around half naked screaming at him. And if I tried to do that, I couldn't do it, right? So she just needs that space to do ministry. Um, I think another area that maybe we could do better is if I really want to serve the women in church, and I hope this doesn't sound bad, but we have so many strong women, and the church has been so feminized that they can't find a good godly man to do ministry with. So for them, it's like pursue their ministry or lower their standards to date a quote-unquote Christian guy. Mm -hmm. So on my side, because I don't understand women at all, I've tried to continuously sound the call that we don't need neat Christian boys. We need good godly men. And a part of that maturity of becoming a godly man is recognizing the equality of your wife, like truly, and not falling into a stereotype that I fell into simply because of how I was brought up. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom has said many times, you know, my dad was blindsided that she changed one day because she realized she was her own person. Mm-hmm. You know, married right out of, you know, young, and you start having kids, and the husband's off doing all his important stuff, and you're staying at home. And I realized, wait a minute, I have, I have a calling on my life too, and it's not to be just your servant, right? And yeah. so uh, I think it's good that the church has these conversations. I think it's also good that we recognize both sides make good arguments. Mm-hmm. So that way, if you're complementarianism, if, you're, if you believe that men and women are equal but they have different roles, you just loosen your grip on what you think that means a little bit. Now, somebody's going to go the full other way. I think maybe there's some scriptures that they should examine and just ask questions about maybe why did God establish these roles? And it's not necessarily sexist to say, guys do this, women do that. It could just be straight up organizational, right? Mm -hmm. God is not a God of chaos. He could have just organized it a little bit. But because we are prone to rebellion, God says don't. We go watch me right? Mm -hmm. So um, Peggy, thank you for taking time. Uh, Maybe we could just end. Could you tell me the worst experience you've had as a woman going to teach? Like, have you had some guy come up and just be like, that was a good sermon if you were a guy? (laughs) You know, have you had any experience like that? Well, I, I really do think kind of the worst experiences I've had was when I was younger. I think as I've gotten older, uh, maybe guys don't want to say it out loud. Maybe if they're thinking it, um, but I, but I think that uh, just comments made, you know, if, um, you know, if, uh, you know, if there had been a man, you know, then, um, but because they didn't step up, you know, God chose you. Right. You know, that second choice language, uh, I think over, whether it's a male or female, whenever you're made to feel like you're inferior, um, simply because you're not a different gender, I think is wrong. And, and I think it's damaging to, to men or women um, and, and I think that that's, that's kind of at the root of, you know, how we treat women, you know, um, you know, and I know that, you know, even in the role that I'm in now, if I go, you know, to a associational meeting, you right. know, I'm like one among like 50 guys, right? Right. It's very uncomfortable. They're looking for your husband, right? They're looking yeah. for my husband. They ask about my husband because they don't know what to say to me. Right. You know, they're not really sure how to interact with me. Yeah. And, um, you know, those things are uncomfortable, but it's just part of being a female. And I think females understand that, but I think for some it's very intimidating. It's intimidating to me too. I would right. say that. Um, but Strong uh, women intimidate me. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Scared to death of my wife. <laughs> but, um, 
but but I but I think that um, I think the more that that men welcome women to the table and they say you have a place, um, I think it goes a long ways. I don't know that women are just looking to have this title slapped on and well you're an elder or that you're a pastor. Uh, for me, I've never desired that, um, and really I've never really looked for that title. Um, right. I think for me, and I think for a lot of women, as I talk with them, they just want to, the freedom to exercise their gifts right? and the freedom to be able to know that they're obeying what they feel like God is speaking mm-hmm. to them in being fulfilled and in, in being obedient to him. And so I think that as you do that, um, I think it, I think you will see women grow without that labeling of, well, they're right. feminist or they're controlling or they're you know, they're too, too much of a strong woman, you know, because right. they're in leadership. There's a lot of women leaders and it's, it's a good thing. Yeah. And I think this is a great example of how unlike the world that is too argumentative to have these kind of conversations, we as a church can role model what just healthy dialogue on what are the roles of women and men? Cause the world's just now said, well, support women's rights, but men can be women and gender's fluid, and there's no such thing as gender. So I'm like, why celebrate women's rights if there's no gender? Right. And it, it just seems it's it's a mess. It's chaotic. We can say, hey, we're doing the best with what we have. This is what God has made clear. Here's the parts that are unclear to us at the time, and we pray that the Spirit will continue to lead our eyes to um, see Scripture more clearly, and those things continue to happen, and scholarship continues to help us understand certain um views from the time of Jesus. And so uh, thank you again for being here. I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule. I know how much work you have to do in getting ready for this summer. Uh, where, are, where are the mission trips to this summer in case anybody is curious? Yeah, so we, uh, we've got trips going into Guatemala, into Panama, to the Gambia, West Africa, uh, to Canada. Uh, we've got a spring break trip to Mexico. Um, I think I've, and then we've got a trip into Eastern Europe where we're going into Romania, Slovakia, um, and Hungary. So, yeah, busy summer. I heard the ice cream in Hungary is pretty good. Yeah, you know, I, I feel like that there was a trip that we took together, uh, and, and I might have beat you. Uh, yes. Lies. This is why women aren't allowed to be elders, because <laughs> uh, there are lying tongues. Uh, yeah, that's true. Uh, for the listeners, Peggy and I had a Faji eating contest, which is the Hungarian word for ice cream. And it is by far the most delicious thing God has ever it's created. And what was the total count? For, in one day, how many scoops of ice cream did you have? I, I don't remember. You, what was the, you told me the total count. I, it I, was I, like 30-something? I, mean, I, I, think, I think you had 39 and I had 38. Right, because I got one right before we left. Yeah, so we're like I'd, on the way to the airport and you're walking up with a scoop of ice cream. Right, just... It cheated, right. yeah. But you know, that year my body paid for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm still paying for it. Yeah, so imagine one day eating 38, 39 scoops of ice cream. It's totally worth it. If you ever go on a mission trip with All Star to Hungary and see if you can beat our record, that is a challenge to all of you. Thank you so much for being here, and we'll see you later. Thank you.